0: One of the most interesting things about uh, exploring total load um, is that, that that relationship between internal and external load is, is not constant, in fact. that treflon Show, 162.
1: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Simon Wegerith, who is the founder of iFleet. They create apps and and sensors, products for measuring heart rate variability and uh, things along those lines, so you may have seen them around if you're in the HRV space. Uh, Simon himself is also a competitive cyclist and uh, previously he was uh, into triathlons as well. What we will discuss today is uh, how triathletes and endurance athletes in general can uh, use HRV to, to measure and manage their total load. So, the sum of the various different kinds of stresses that uh, that we experience which is not just training but also things like work family and all these things that you know by now having listened to the podcast that uh, that it all affects our ability to uh, to ad- absorb and adapt to training uh, shout out to dave from precision hydration for connecting with simon i really appreciate that dave uh, so we'll get right into the interview after thanking our sponsors First, we have Stack that you can find on stackzero.com. That's S-T-A-C-Zero spelled out dot com. And they make the world's quietest indoor bike trainers. And related to today's episode's topic of uh, managing your total load, uh, including training stress, but also other stressors, I think personally, that's one of my main reasons for this winter making indoor training a bigger focus is that it is just more time effective. And even though I love going outdoors and uh, can do good training outdoors, it just takes, takes longer to, to for me to get to the places where I really can do uh, structured intervals the way I like to do them. Uh, plus, of course, you need to spend more time washing your bike, preparing your equipment, uh, getting dressed, all those sorts of things. And that is one of my main reasons for now spending a lot more time indoors and mainly going outdoors on the weekends to ride. And even even then on the weekends, I sometimes now stay indoors since I just like being on the stack. Uh, Recently, I've been watching a lot of Super League triathlon replays from this last season on YouTube. And that is something that I highly recommend while you're on the indoor trainer. Really action-packed material that you you can have on in the background as you're doing your hard intervals. Uh, so Stack, they produce great trainers from the base model, which is super affordable, but it's still as quiet as all the other models and it folds nicely. You can store it under your bed all the way up to the new smart trainer model, which is the Halcyon, uh, which has all the, the smart trainer functionalities that you would expect. So check them out on stackzero.com and you can get 20% off with the promo code show all one word, all caps. And a big thank you to Roca, which is uh, the premier manufacturer of uh, triathlon wetsuits, tri-suits, goggles, swimskins, sunglasses, uh, and that sort of equipment. Uh, the athletes that use Roca include uh, people like Lucy Charles, Javier Gomez, Mario Mola. So you can see that they are standout athletes, and and I guess that's one way that you can measure how good the products of a, a company in the in the apparel industry is. Another way is, for example, in Kona with the official uh, or sorry, unofficial swim skin count, uh, and Roca has uh, won that swim skin count for many many years running now. So you can rest assured that when you get uh, some Roka gear, you get the highest quality possible. And uh, now you can do that even in Europe and the UK with no customs and duties because they now ship from the UK as well as the US. Just go to roca.com, click through to your regional website and do your shopping there and apply the code THATTRIATHRONSHOW, all one word, all caps, to get 20% off your entire order. All right, so let's get right into the interview with uh, Simon Wagariff. So, Simon, welcome to that triathlon show. How are you? Thank you, Mikhail. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm very well. Looking forward to Christmas hrv is high and in the green and everything everything is all right so uh, let's uh, just get into the main topic and uh, yeah. it is hrv which is your expertise of course but also how it uh, relates to the concept of total load uh, that you you kindly pointed out was uh, one of the main most important concepts that we should be talking about so so it's your idea uh, explain to us uh, what is total load specifically
0: Yeah, sure. So total load is the idea that in addition to the stress from your workout, so other factors such as your sleep, diet, mental stress, these all impact your body's ability to train, recover, and perform. And uh, many athletes, unless they think about it, they don't really realize that factors such as work stress and travel directly impact their ability to uh, train and subsequently perform well. So... um, Total load as a concept has actually been around for quite a long time, but uh, early in 2016, the um, International Olympic Committee decided to put together an expert group to look at evidence uh, that high total loads in sport were leading to high rates of injury and illness in competitors, and it resulted in a a very good comprehensive two-part paper on identifying and managing total load. So they concluded that – uh, you know measurement is is important but uh a number of factors were especially important to measure so this included internal as well as external load so the idea of trying to look directly at the stress um on the body as well as the the stress you're applying and of course the stress you're applying can be you know t s s in the in the in the popular case of endurance training um other factors as well um, and that as well as you know the day-to-day uh, loading yeah. the so, sorry, sorry to, that... to
1: cut in here but can you explain the internal and external load uh, uh, in a bit more detail there is the ex- external load always the stress yeah. that you apply or just uh...
0: yeah yeah sure so yes um uh, external load is is the stress that you apply so you know you might go do uh, for instance you know probably the most famous example of uh, of an hour at your threshold and that will generate a tss of 100 by definition and that would be a good example of quantifying the uh, the external load um and then the internal load is the stress uh, that results in the body from applying that load and um one of the most interesting things about uh, exploring total load um, is that 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 relationship between internal and external load is is not constant? In fact, and depends on a number of of uh, environmental factors, um, including psychological stress, travel, you know, whether or not you're starting to become sick, and uh, and and some other things as well.
1: Mm, okay, that's that's very interesting. So with external load then do we always just consider training and then it's the relationship of internal external load that changes based on the other stressors in life like your job your family nutrition sleep etc or can external load also be these other things like like work stress
0: yeah i i think it can personally so i think the external load Um, can have a number of uh, other factors added to it. I think the difficulty here, Michael, is is quantifying those. Uh, We've done quite a good job of quantifying training stress, and that tends to be the thing that we measure the most. Um, but of course, in principle, you can you can devise ways of measuring some of the other the other stresses. Um, uh, for instance, um, perhaps uh, sleep that you might compare you know one particular night's sleep or a, a moving average of sleep to what you know as an individual you need, so you could quantify it that way. Um, uh, and and there's other things as well. Perhaps you might have a prescribed diet um which incorporates certain you know macronutrients micronutrients and and quantities and then you could record compliance to that so these are all objective measures of what's done outside the body whereas the internal load is the concept that the body's response uh is not too surprisingly very uh, sophisticated and um and and intricate to that and even varies over time
1: right and and what is the relation between hrv and uh, total load as well as external and internal load
0: yeah so that that's a really good question um so uh, what what we saw, particularly um, in the earlier years of uh, of producing a first HRV app, was that users would initially say, "Hmm, there doesn't seem to be a perfect relation between changes in the external load that they're measuring using TSS or Trimp or miles or whatever it is, and dips in the HRV." And in fact, that turns out to be a good thing because HRV is actually a comprehensive. And holistic measure of internal load effectively, uh, internal load but also resilience, um, so you know the amount by which your HRV changes when an external load is applied depends on you individually at that particular point in time and um, the, the the smaller the change in the HRV for a given external load, uh, you can be said to be more resilient and you can build resilience as well.
1: How would you build resilience?
0: Yeah, so uh, probably one of the best examples um, that uh, our audience will be able to relate to is what we call long, slow distance training. So, building an aerobic base, building, having a good aerobic base, um, not a, increases your HRV. Um, so, showing that your resilience has improved, um, and uh, that means that a given stressor, so for a given external load, your your HRV. Um, and your body's perception of that stress will be lower so you know another way of looking at this is that the the greater your body's adaptations to training uh the um you know that the more robust you become to future training and that's a concept that you know i'm, I'm sure everybody listening will be able to uh, uh to get their heads around
1: yeah yeah and and it's uh it's very fundamental isn't it that's uh, that's one of the main reasons why in endurance sports it's so important to to add layers upon layers of of just base endurance layers upon layers of fitness years and years of consistent training consistently putting in the hours but not necessarily doing too much too hard training uh, so that makes sense uh, this yeah. is a uh, uh, sort of an impossible question i have a feeling at least i, I think it might be a difficult one but yeah. is it possible to uh, to quantify or at least to uh, to to have an idea of what the biggest contributors to our total stress is, like, can we compare how big a stress training is compared with, for example, work stress in various situations and, and quantify that somehow?
0: Yeah, so um, that that is a good question. And in fact, it's not as difficult as we might imagine. So if we're recording our, our HRV every day, every morning at the same time, uh, a morning weight measure would be typical. If we're also recording as as diligently and as honestly as we can some of the other lifestyle factors, and those include compliance to the diet that we've set ourselves or our coach or nutritionist has prescribed for us. Um, how well, uh, we have dealt with, with stress in the past 24 hours. And, and we use the term, I like to use the term stress management because stress is not an absolute thing. Stress is actually the interaction between a person and their environment and the degree to which, uh, you know, so, so stress, if you like, is the imbalance, um, between you know, a a set of environmental circumstances like high pressure deadlines at work, you know, a train that's late, a traffic jam, an argument, all of those kind of things. The internal response to that will depend um, on your resilience. It will depend on your, your sort of mental attitude and your values and a bunch of other things like that. So what we want to be able to do is to record our HRV every morning, but also simultaneously record uh, metrics such as our dietary compliance, our sleep quality and quantity, um, you know, our stress management capability, and some subjectives as well, like muscle soreness, mood, and fatigue, all of which are pretty important um, in in assessing. Um, how are we going? And then we can do things like we can chart all of those variables simultaneously and try to visually visually identify uh, trends. But increasingly, we can also harness the power of uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence to do that work for us. And so, if these things change and and we do a good job of recording them, we can identify um, the most likely you know contributors to changes in HRV, which is the holistic measure.
1: And have you done that sort of machine learning with the data that you've collected with your app? Or has anybody done that in research, for example?
0: Yes, yes. So there are a couple of people that have uh, that have done that in research. And we also do it actually in um, in iFleet in Pro. So there's a feature uh, which was introduced this year called Simon Says. And Simon Says is an example of what's called an expert system. So it's a knowledge-based system uh that tracks all of those variables and tries to identify the most likely relationships between them and then gives that back in the form of uh of 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 you know a speech bubble so uh so simple to understand text.
1: Mm. And and what typically comes up for I guess most of your users will will be uh typical age group athletes in, in various yeah. not not just triathlon but it might be crossfitters or, or what, whatever they may be but do, do you have any any sort of general information about uh, whether work or something else is, is that possible to uh to see with your data
0: yeah so there does tend to be quite a tight relationship um between stress management because you know nearly all of us lead busy lives and in fact it's only the most closeted Uh, professional athletes that don't have (laughs) that don't have significant other stresses to uh to to, to training in their lives so stress um tends also to reduce our ability to sleep effectively uh either because we're awake worrying or we're not getting as much deep sleep uh, especially the important first four hours as we might be um uh yeah so it's uh it, it's stress that tends to lead to then poor sleep. And when we have poor sleep, it's well documented in research that we tend to make bad food choices. So, you know, if people are who've been sleep deprived are given the choice of a healthy fruit and muesli breakfast or donuts, they tend to go for the donuts because their their body perceives that they need to stock up on uh on, on readily, readily available fuel sources in order to deal with the stress. Because, you know, your body doesn't actually know what kind of stress it's under. All it knows is that when you're under stress, it's likely to need more glucose and glycogen in order to be able to perform uh, fight-or-flight actions.
1: Mm. Uh, this is actually – that that's uh, an interesting, interesting comment. And, and we see this – we have seen this more and more in recent years uh, that people are talking about uh, – how stress equals stress and it doesn't matter if it comes from training or uh, outside factors but is it really a one-to-one ratio uh, or uh, again i think this might be maybe difficult to quantify but can you can you talk about this concept that stress equals stress and and how you see that
0: yeah personally i don't think all stresses are equal so there was a very good paper written um I think it was earlier this year by uh dr john Keeley from uh university of central lancashire in the uk where he 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 basically tried to explode a little bit this model um which was originally called uh uh created by uh Uh, a guy called Hans Seeley about 90 years ago called the general adaptation syndrome. And it's still the model that's most commonly used. So, you know, a stress is applied to the body for a while, it becomes weaker. And then when the stress is removed, it becomes stronger and adapts uh, to be a bit more resilient next time. But John Keeley is effectively saying that um, this model is way too simplistic, as neither our body's homeostasis or steady state, nor our stress responses, remain constant over time, and in fact, they vary with life experiences, biorhythms, and many other factors. And this is this is uh, as Keeley himself points out, this is where HRV comes in, because it reflects the total internal load as perceived by the body. So, the the short answer is that probably the best we can do at the moment is to simultaneously measure. The environmental factors and source stress we have in our lives, and look at the holistic indicator of HRV, which is a you know has been shown in, in you know more than ten thousand research reports to be you know quite a good indicator of this, and for you know um, uh, quite well known evolutionary reasons um, to do with you know preparing the body for the fight or flight versus rest and digest reaction. Um, that that's a you know that that's probably the best we can do for now.
1: All right. yeah. Uh, John Keeley is a past guest on the show, so I'll link to his oh, interview in in I the show think. notes. We <laughs> talked we talked more so about uh, periodization, but we uh, yeah. did uh, touch upon the, the stress concept as well. And I've actually read that paper that you refer to, and, and it is yeah. very interesting. Yeah. So w- when you say that HRV is uh, has been shown to be a good indicator to mm-hmm. to measure total load, is it the best indicator, or are there others that might be equally good or even better? W- what are the alternatives, basically, if there are any?
0: Yeah, so in professional team environments, uh, like football teams, for instance, they tend to use um, uh, salivary cortisol measures, and perhaps um, some blood markers of inflammation as well. Um, But in the anecdotal reports I've had from working with those top clubs, they do regard HRV as the most sensitive indicator out of the ones that they're using. Um, I think I, I, ideally, I think we would want to measure HRV. We'd probably want to measure blood glucose continuously, and perhaps adrenal family hormones as well, if we could do that, you know, in a in a sort of non invasive way, which we, which was safe. Um, but I don't think enough of that work has been done yet to show whether or not HRV is the most sensitive it is it is quite likely to be sensitive because it originates in the brain stem and is part of the very basic wiring of the body in changing its state and altering factors also like inflammation um sensitivity to pain and uh mobilization of resources so it's a it's a pretty basic level of wiring that's going on in the body and you know we're observing things close to the source of what the brain considers
1: okay uh so we'll talk a little bit more about how to apply hrv practically in in mm-hmm. just a little bit but first uh since we're on this more general topic of of load and total load uh actually we can weave in hrv at this point i think uh how can we can we, can we use hrv to basically establish how much training we can do how how hard we can train uh and and how do we do that
0: yes um I think, I mean, the, the, there's there's probably three things that are really useful here. Um, <clears throat> one is the day-to-day changes in HRV. The other one is the HRV baseline. And another really good one to supplement that is something we call the acute to chronic training load ratio. I'll come back to that one in a moment. Regarding HRV... Um, It is a sensitive metric that comes with, if you like, a small downside that it also varies quite a bit from day to day as part of its sort of noise or its natural variation. It's therefore pretty desirable, and this is something that we introduced in the first version of iThleet back in 2009, the idea of having a seven-day rolling average or a baseline. And trends in that baseline um, have been shown in in research to be pretty good indicators of when – Uh, uh, the the stress has started to become cumulative and there's a a bigger chance of non-functional overreaching. Now, as uh, endurance athletes, we really don't want to overreach non-functionally because not only does it take a good amount of time to recover from, it's quite unpleasant in the meantime. But what a lot of people don't realize is that when you really dig yourself into a hole, um, once you have recovered you in fact have gained nothing there's no successful adaptation takes place so there was you know <laughs> there was a lot of it was a lot of suffering for nothing so I do still believe that the day-to-day variation in hrv has value so if you're starting to get sick you will notice a big change in one day without an apparent explanation and that's another thing the AI can do for us is to say all the other variables we've recorded hmm either individually or, or added together, they don't explain this change in the HRV. So something else is going on. And if it was taken at the same time as usual, um, then, you know, it might be that you're getting sick, because, you know, we don't have any other explanation for it. So in again, in football clubs, um, a big change in HRV, usually, usually negative, negative um would be taken as a reason to um separate the player from normal training give them vitamin supplements you know extra rest fluids things like that to try and you know uh, to to try and minimize the disturbance caused by the uh, pending illness and i've certainly had some many stories from users about how ifeet has been uh, really quite useful um in detecting pending uh, viral illnesses especially serious ones
1: um, and, and do you use some sort of threshold for what the, um, yeah. the day-to-day variation needs to be for it to be uh, significant?
0: Yes, yes, indeed. Um, so there's this concept uh, in sports science called the smallest worthwhile change. And uh, that is an idea, uh, well, a, a set of work really put forward by um, a New Zealand um, uh, statistician called Will Hopkins, and that's the idea that you know if you repeat athletic performances or any biological measure there'll be some noise in there then there will be a threshold at which that starts to become significant and that's called the smallest worthwhile change and for those interested in the maths it's usually something uh something along the lines of 0.5 of the uh, times the standard deviation of a recent set of measurements so if you've got a 7 day rolling average Um, and you take like a seven-day standard deviation, then typically you would say the first threshold for something being unusual will be 0.5 times the standard deviation.
1: Yeah, Uh, and and for the... The, the overreaching the non-functional overreaching that you mentioned and using yeah. the baseline to see that uh, just to make that clear that would be yeah. a negative change in in the baseline in that rolling rolling average and mm-hmm. and does that also have a smallest worth file change calculation that uh, for the baseline itself
0: it it does and there's also a percentage change in that number which is which is useful to know in fact in the early 2000s there were some deliberate study uh, deliberate overtraining studies done on uh Club level runners and looking at their HRV specifically as they became non functionally overreached. So, thanks to their suffering, we have some data for that as well, and we we've used that um, um, as looking at the percentage change in the in the baseline over a period of seven days as a as a threshold for indicating that you're you might be getting close to that point.
1: Mm, yeah okay uh, but and by the way we i will also link to an episode for the listeners that uh, we just recently did with the dr Cyril schmidt on non-functional overreaching so that's mm-hmm. very much related to to this yeah. episode here
0: and, and there so, was one other point i just wanted to mention briefly and that was the acute to chronic training load ratio so there's some very good work that's been done there by um tim gabbert and others i think in australia um, looking basically at again a seven day uh, versus forty uh, versus twenty eight day yeah or or forty two day baseline of training loads and looking at the uh, ratio between the most recent week and the average of the past four or six weeks and if that exceeds one point two then there's a there is a chance of um, you know, increased likelihood, particularly I think of soft tissue and musculoskeletal injuries and over 1.5 are a pretty high chance of that. Interestingly, values below 0.8, so in other words, a fast decrease in training load are also likely to cause problems when training is resumed as the body becomes deconditioned to the training stress that it was, um, that it was accustomed to previously.
1: Were the subjects in that study were they triathletes or runners, cyclists? Do you know? Uh,
0: I, th- I think the overall conclusions were derived from multiple sports, with a predominance actually in running-based sports. Uh, so, typically, team sports involving um, you know, uh, repeated sprint-type actions. So, typically, you know, football, Australian rules, rugby; those those, those kind of things. But uh, I, I believe there have been studies done in in runners as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, it would be interesting to see because I, uh, of course, with running-based sports and especially with a lot of uh, changes, which uh, puts a lot of demands on on the joint joint uh, changes in direction. I mean, like uh, like in in football or or other sports, then I it's it's very logical that uh, that ratio would need to be you would need to be more conservative versus a sport like triathlon where you can do a lot of uh swimming and cycling which are not as yeah. dangerous and risky as as running yeah. but uh but yeah that's yeah. a that's a really interesting point to hear about that ratio as well uh so uh, then one question that i wanted to ask you is um, with regards to to asia uh, your app and, and other apps they in the day-to-day as well as in the baseline we get We get advice we we know if it's a green day or a yellow day or a red day uh, or however it's marked in in the app itself if we should be we get some sort of advice if we should be training taking it easier or not but my question here is is there a case for sometimes doing one more hard workout even when we might be in the red when we have not fully recovered from previous workouts assuming that we then make sure that we we take appropriate recovery and not get into chronic uh, overreaching or non-functional overreaching, of course. But then we have that big stimulus of of having done a hard workout and then another hard workout in a fatigued state, which might have some value as a stimulus. So so is that something that uh, you've thought about or that you have any opinions on?
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, so in iSleep Pro, where we... Um, Uh, We do more analysis on not only the HRV, but the resting heart rate as well. Um, So we take both of those into account. And if the HRV is modestly reduced, then we would tell the user that uh, they're they're operating in a recovery deficit, but no, no reason to back off if they are deliberately overreaching at that point. So again, we would use... <clears throat> thresholds to indicate when overreaching still appears to be safe regarding the trends and the day-to-day values versus when particularly when the heart rate starts to be elevated uh, that's that's a, a pretty sure sign that the overreaching is starting to become uh, non-functional so we advise people like that but another point on if you like uh, traditional periodization um, is that you know, there's I've I've tried to look at it and there's actually not that much evidence um that this kind of uh uh block periodization is actually more effective than simply polarizing training, as advocated by uh Dr. Stephen Seiler, between long, slow distance, about eighty percent of session time and and high intensity interval training. And I think the polarization concept is a useful one, uh, Mikhail, because I know certainly for many years I did myself and I believe that Many age group athletes, especially those who are self-coached, still choose to go comfortably hard in most of their workouts, which is increasingly regarded as a a less productive zone. So it's too hard to recover from by the next day, but it's not hard enough to really drive the adaptations that lead to performance gains. So with conventional periodization, it's quite easy to to, to get wrong, I think. And polarized, polarized training, I think, has a role to play there, and it seems to produce very good results as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You need to to when when you are supposed to be training easy, you should be training easy and not be going moderately hard. Uh just from from a coach's perspective and, and from an athlete's perspective as well, I do think that especially on the bike for me personally, I know that a lot of really strong swimmers, they have the same uh the same sort of uh attributes on the swim that you can get a really good boost in your fitness if if you overload and do two really hard workouts day to day and that does not mean moderately hard but that actually means hard and uh, that's uh, not necessarily following any any polarized models because you're actually going going hard more than than you would based Mm. on Seiler's studies but uh, but I still think that practically that might have value in certain situations but I guess HRV can then control that with as you said you you get the advice that if you are uh, you are deliberately trying to overreach then then you are free free to go go yeah, ahead and do
0: it you, you're still okay to do that yes yeah. absolutely
1: uh, okay so i guess then for listeners that are not using hrv uh, today mm. if they if they sign up with for ifleet and uh, and they start using hrv just if you give them a simple step by step the most mm. important things that they they should mm. be doing without making things too complicated without having to become scientists themselves what what are the the things or the thing even even better perhaps if, if it's the one single thing that they should be doing and should be looking at and concern themselves with with regards to hrv and how it affects their training
0: yeah i, I think there's the, the one word i would bring out here michael is, is is consistency so try to do your reading every day at about the same time do be diligent and honest as you can about recording the wellness metrics. Because if you record the wellness metrics alongside the HRV, as we've discussed, it will help you identify those factors which are holding you back and allow you to make adjustments to your lifestyle so that by reducing other areas of the total load, you've then got a bigger capacity for training whilst remaining healthy. So you, you know, manage within the total load and um you know re- record the metrics um as 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 well as you can with the h r v and with the h r v it's just important to be you know be disciplined um, and use use sensors and apps that have been independently validated as well, and that uh, you know the sensors need to be in good condition so a lot of people ask you know can we use the apple watch and there is a complicated process by which you could but you're much better off having a dedicated sensor because the information from it will be much more um much more
1: accurate yeah a gigo, garbage in garbage out
0: Uh, yeah it still applies even in the era of artificial intelligence it still applies
1: (laughs) Uh, what, one more thing, uh, you mentioned there with the, the stress management earlier. I think that's mm-hmm. uh, yeah. a, a good, yeah. good topic because, uh, as you say, it's not really about what. Like, if we get stuck in traffic, that's the same for everybody, but people deal with it differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do you personally have any any thoughts on how to improve that the way that we manage stress? Because then that can actually have a have an impact on on how we then adapt to training. If we if we become really good at not being too stressed out about things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, For me personally, what's worked uh, very well over the past couple of years is, is meditation and particularly the slow, deep breathing component of meditation. So where you breathe in steadily for five seconds, breathe out steadily for five seconds, you actually excite a resonance in your body. Um, that leads to some some pretty remarkable effects actually it uh, and these are shown in research. it leads to reduction in blood pressure and certainly a reduction in the perception of stress. so get yourself a meditation app uh, you know many of them are available on free trial. You can find the ones that you like ones that I particularly like are headspace uh, calm simple habit but there 's plenty of them available there 's also I've been involved with a slow deep breathing app that that finds this resonance for you and that's called BreatheSync. So, you know, stress is a perceptual thing. You know, it's this it's this com- it's this sort of interaction between what's actually happening to you in your in the world and your perception of your own ability to cope. And so stress is something that that you can absolutely manage and then reduce the total load, then you can train harder. Hey
1: yeah yeah absolutely and i can recommend a completely free meditation app that is not even just a free trial uh, because i i did try a lot of them that were on free trials but then i was always too cheap to <laughs> end up buying the real thing so so i so i finally found one that that is actually really good and has a good library of meditations and that is called insight timer so okay that's a tip for- Listeners that don't want to uh, to to buy buy one, yeah. Uh, But yeah, I really good. And there's actually it's interesting. There's now research coming out even in how meditation affects endurance performance. uh, Quite recently, so so that's been interesting to see as well.
0: Yes, and, and when you're on the bike, and probably and swimming and running as well, actually, I'm sure. Uh, but certainly, when I've been on the bike, I've been practicing, you know, being present, using nasal breathing as well. That's uh, that, that's quite a significant contributor, and your perception of of pain in your legs and your body uh, is reduced and and quite uh, quite noticeably.
1: Mm. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap this up with uh, some rapid fire questions, starting with what's your favorite book, blog or resource related to uh, endurance sports or, or even just your field of expertise? Mm, thanks. Yeah. When I started
0: um, the iThleet project, um, uh, I got in touch with a few people and Dr. Phil Maffetone was one of them. And I still think his uh, his big book of endurance training and racing is is a very good one. Uh, Phil seems to have a, an intuitive feel for how to prepare for competition while staying healthy. And let's not forget, he has coached some of the best triathletes of all time, including Mark Allen, Colleen Cannon, Mike Pig and, uh, and several others as well.
1: What's the personal habit that's helped you achieve success?
0: Ah, well the, uh yeah I would have to say measuring my HRV and recording the wellness metrics every day for the past 9 years that's uh I've I've unusually I've managed to keep my baseline you know at least steady if not improving in in sections but uh, uh the other thing is 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 the meditation that's made a it's made a big difference to me I think as a person to my productivity and to uh, uh the way I approach
1: things. And what do you wish you had known or done differently at some point in your career?
0: Yeah, um, I, I think regarding sports and athletics, and I've been a competitive uh, triathlete and and nowadays uh, quite a competitive uh, long distance uh, cyclist. I've I, I looked around in the past and I've thought that everybody who's beating me is more talented. And uh, now that I'm a bit more sort of mature and I know more about sports science and training and some other things, I think to myself. Well, they may. Not, they, it's not necessarily true they're more talented. It's most likely that they've just trained and raced smarter and more effectively. So, I think many people can have got the potential to be much better endurance athletes than they realise. That's that's been something for me in my journey.
1: Yeah, you know, actually, this is something that that I feel very strongly about, and one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about triathlon is that I think that it's one of the sports that really just rewards hard and smart work and uh, and long-term work, yeah. and and talent has a very small, comparatively small role to play, I think, compared to to many other sports, yeah. and and most of what anybody can get can become a really good triathlete at an age group level if if they just do the right things and do them for a long enough time, of course.
0: Yes no I, I i fully uh I, I fully subscribe to that
1: all right uh this has been great simon uh, just uh, tell the listeners where they can find out more about you and about uh, ifleet
0: yeah sure so they can um you know and just just plug me simon Wegriff, into into google or, or or you know type ifleet i-t-h-l-e-t-e into google and uh, you, you, you'll find out more
1: okay brilliant yeah we'll we'll have the links in the show notes as well for people that uh, that want to click right through Correct. it was great talking to you and look forward to talking to you again soon now have a very merry christmas
0: thank you michael and to, and to all your listeners as well
1: i hope that you enjoyed that episode and found it useful uh, i think it serves as a great reminder that uh, training does not happen in a vacuum because we are not most of us are not professional athletes by the way i would love to connect with any professional athlete that are, uh, that is listening to this podcast so send me an email if uh, if you are somebody uh, it would be interesting to know if you also get value from the podcast but uh, for most of us that's not the reality so we need to uh, take into account the stress that we experience and uh, that stress management discussion was very interesting in this regard because the stress that we experience may be different from one person to the next. Uh, either way, all of us have some sort of other stressors, whether it's from uh, from our career, our families, lack of sleep, that sort of thing. And HRV seems at the moment to be uh, the, best, the best way, really, to measure that and make sure that we we have a handle on on all on that thing. So I think that now it's pretty clear, really, what we need to do, how we should treat the day to day variations. Simon gave some very specific and clear advice on that, and also the baseline. And uh, of course, if you missed that, you can go to the show notes on thattriathlonshow.com and click through to this episode and check out uh, all the details on that. I'll also link to the previous episodes on HRV that we've done, and uh, I've done two of them. The first one is with uh, with Dr. Dan Pluse, who is also, by the way, the Kona Age Group record, World Record Holder. He beat that record in October. That's in episode 42 called Heart Rate Variability for Triathletes with Blues. And uh, more recently, we had uh, Marco Altini, founder of HRV for Training, which is the app that I use uh, on, and he his episode is titled Applications and Insights in 2018 and Beyond uh, with Marco Altini. I think there should be an HRV somewhere in there, <laughs> but maybe I copy-pasted it wrong incorrectly into my notes. Uh, Of course, I'll also link to the the other episodes that I mentioned, the one on non-functional overreaching with Cyril Schmidt, which was a very recent one, and the one with John Keely on periodization, where we touched on that uh, stress concept. In the next episode, you will hear Professor Paul Larsen will be back for a third episode on interval training, which is very timely now that they have released the book called Science and Application of High-Intensity Interval Training, I know these episodes were some of the most popular episodes of all time on the podcast, and I just love doing these interviews and digging deep into the details of of intervals. And uh, Paul is just a fantastic guest, so it's an honor to have him back on. I know that he's very, very busy with the book launch and also launching a course on high-intensity interval training now. Uh, So thank you for that, and I think we're all in for a treat. And as for going into 2019, uh, we're, you, we might already be in 2019 by the time that you listen to this, because this episode will be released on New Year's Eve, so you might not have time to listen to it on that day. Uh, but uh, that means that we are getting closer to your 2019 goal races And if you don't yet have a structured path to be at your best in those goal races, then by all means, swing by my website, scientifictriathlon.com, and check out our services and products uh, that can help you be at your best for those races. Everything from very affordable but high-quality ready-made training plans, all the way up to highly personalized individual coaching. Finally, thank you for being a listener in 2018. It means a whole lot to me, I know that there are a thousand of other podcasts that you could be listening to. Uh, it's a problem that I have. there are just too many good podcasts, so I need to I have started to actually filter my podcast listening, which makes me really sad. so so I do not take it lightly that you spend your time listening to this podcast. I really appreciate that and want to thank you for it. Happy New year and see you in two thousand and nineteen. And thank you, finally, to our sponsors, Roka, that you can find on That's roka.com. That's R-O-K-A dot And uh, go there and shop your wetsuits, trisuits, goggles, sunglasses, and all other triathlon-related performance apparel that uh, you might need in 2019 again. Uh, give yourself that structured path and give yourself good equipment uh, to achieve your 2019 goals. Uh, get 20% off your entire order with the promo code DEAT, triathlon show all one word, all caps and thank you to stack that you can find on stack zero.com that's s-t-a-c zero spelled out dot com uh, make sure that you don't get too much stress from the extra time that required from riding outdoors all the time like i did last year uh, spend some quality time indoors training indoors doing the structured training on the trainer whether it's the base model the power meter model or smart trainer halcyon uh, you can get 20% off your order with the promo code that triathlon show all one word, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving travel.